Jesus uh, was asked, um, what, what Jesus is the greatest commandment? Jesus, oh, so many things have been said. So many things have been said in the history of my people, in the history of your people. What is the greatest thing? Like, what is the thing, God, that we need to remember above all else? Jesus says, love the Lord your God with every freaking thing that you have. Love the Lord your God. And the second most important thing is pretty similar. Love people. Love your neighbors as yourself. Love God and love people. As we've been walking through the Ten Commandments this semester, uh, what we've been talking about is loving God and loving people. Don't have any other gods before me. Don't make any graven images. Don't take my name in vain. Don't take the Lord's name in vain. Keep the Sabbath. Love the Lord your God with everything you've got. Honor your father and mother. Don't murder. Don't commit adultery. Don't lie. Don't steal. And today, don't covet. This talks about our relationships with other people around us. We've been talking all semester about all these different commandments, and really all of it is, is summed up in loving God and loving people. And today, as we talk about don't covet and, and talk about the last of the Ten Commandments, um, I want to hone in on what it means to love people really well. Um, uh, Max, you want to put Romans 13 up real quick? Uh, Paul emphasizes uh, what Jesus had to say again. He says, for the commandments don't commit adultery, don't murder, don't steal, don't covet. And any other commandment are summed up in this word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So as I'm talking about don't covet, and I wanna explore that, I wanna talk about how we covet, why we covet, things like this tonight, I want you to think about the fact that what this is getting at, what God is intending for you to hear in this is I want you to love people around you. Don't covet, love people around you. I'm gonna put Exodus 20 up for me, buddy. 2017, do not covet your neighbor's house. Do not covet your neighbor's wife or husband or boyfriend or girlfriend. Do not covet your neighbor's male and female servants, for those of you out there doing that. Do not covet their neighbor's ox or donkey for the really weird people doing that. Or anything else that belongs to your neighbor. I mean, for these people, obviously, that was really relevant. But don't covet anything that belongs to your neighbor. Don't covet anything that belongs to your neighbor. What does covet mean? What, don't desire something of your neighbor's in such a way that you wish it was your own. You wish it were your own. Somebody out there knows what I'm supposed to say there. I'm not supposed to look at you and go, ah, oh, what you have, I want for myself. It's coveting. It's coveting. God is saying, don't do this to each other. We don't do that, though, really, still, do we? Because that, yes, we do. It's America. America goes round and round on coveting. I mean, this is what makes, it drives our economy. So it drives our government. It's, I mean, it's what we're taught to believe so much is covet. Please covet. It's what makes us a great nation is that every single one of you in the room covets so much that you, will, you refuse to give up. You want progression and you want, in, in our culture, you want, uh, you know, um, ambition. To, we have different names for it that sound great. But coveting is what makes this place go around. I mean, there's millions of dollars spent every single year, maybe billions, I don't know, but at least millions, every single year trying to figure out how I can best sell you a product, how I can best get you to buy something so that I can put food on the table and I can continue to have a job and a career. And, and every time research comes back, two things are needed in order to sell you a product. One, I need to convince you that you're not satisfied where you are right now. Standard definition TV just won't work. You need high definition TV. <gasps> You're right. I, to I didn't even realize. I, I'm totally not satisfied, and I admit, I'm not satisfied with standard definition TV anymore. 
Advertising and marketing in almost every, almost every way is trying to convince you that something about your life right now isn't right, and, and we're here to help you and let you know that, and then tell you the next thing is that this product that I want you to buy is something that can help satisfy you. You guys, you guys get that? This is what the research comes back every time. This is what companies are trying to do is tell you, you're not satisfied, I have something that can make you satisfied. To illustrate um, uh, how um, abundant this is in our marketing and in our advertising, I have a commercial I want to play for you guys, uh, and it's pretty serious, I'm sorry, but if you can um, cue the music and, uh, and play the commercial, that'd be great. I want you guys to think about how you're being told you're not satisfied. Hello, ladies. Look at your man. Now back to me. Now back at your man. Now back to me. Sadly, he isn't me. But if he stopped using ladies' scented body wash and switched to Old Spice, he could smell like he's me. Look down. Back up. Where are you? You're on a boat with the man your man could smell like. What's in your hand? Back at me. I have it. It's an oyster with two tickets to that thing you love. Look again. The tickets are now diamonds. Anything is possible when your man smells like Old Spice and not a lady. I'm on a horse. <laughs> I absolutely love that commercial. Oh, man. I'm on a horse. Look at me. Um, anyway. Okay, so check this out. What do you actually know about Old Spice? Bo I think it's body wash. I don't even know. I think it's body wash. I've watched it like 10 times. A body wash, deodorant, something. What do you actually know about it? Apparently, it smells good. In 45 seconds, that's all I know about it. I don't know what it smells like or anything. But think for just a minute, watching that commercial, Old Spice thinks that's really effective and that's gonna get you, ladies, to buy your man body wash and men, more than anything, it's gonna make you go out and buy body wash. Why? Is it because you're really dissatisfied with your body wash? Do you hate your soap and you're like, thank God Old Spice made something that smells good? Like, is that what's going, they aren't even trying, that would be relevant, but they aren't even trying to address that. What they're saying to women, and I really, I think talking to men, but if you just take them at their word, women, you're not satisfied with the man in your life or the lack thereof. You're not satisfied with the way he looks. Look at your man. Look at me. You're not satisfied with the way he talks in that sexy voice. You're not, you're not satisfied with the way he smells. That's the only part that's really about the Old Spice thing. But you see him with his shirt off in a home in case you want a man who looks good in a towel at a house. And then he's all of a sudden on a boat, and he's sophisticated, kind of, but he's kind of rugged because he looks built or something, you know, and, and you're, you're not satisfied with your social life, and so check it out. He's got tickets to take you somewhere. You're not satisfied with the way you look in society or how, how glit, glitzy and glamorous you feel, and he's got diamonds just pouring out of his hands. And, and also, just in case you want some adventure, check it out. I'm on a horse, and it's on the beach, you know? I mean, like... It's, what it's saying is that you're not satisfied with all those kind of areas in your life, and you want to be. And men, as you watch it, you watch it like me, and I'm like, I'm not, I'm not that guy, but I can buy body wash, I guess. Like, that's, if that's really what women want or something, but it's exposing the fact that, you know, you get it, like, I'm not, it's nothing to do with body wash. It's, I'm not satisfied with my life. You're not satisfied with your life or the life that you have with your man or something, that we're not satisfied, but, and, and I can't promise that you'll be satisfied, but if you buy this body wash, at least you can smell like somebody who's satisfied. And it works. It totally works. And this is, I mean, you guys, this is so prevalent in our society, so prevalent in our society. Um, I was listening to Donald Miller um, talk, of, uh, I don't know, I don't know, I've heard him talk a couple different times, I don't know when it was, but at one point, it was a couple months ago or a couple years ago or something. Um, but he made this comment as he was doing research on advertising and marketing that, um, that there's a, there's a, the guess is that you in this current generation of 18 to 49 year olds, this is like the target generation for marketing, okay? that you guys experience something like 3,000 advertisements a day. 
It's like, what? Billboards, the fronts of cereal boxes, your Facebook this stuff, email things, the side of Google search pages, radio ads, TV ads, things on people's t-shirts. Throughout the course of a day, on average, you experience something like 3,000 times a message that says, you aren't satisfied. I mean, and you go, really? I mean, how much of an effect can it have? I'm looking at a Cheerios box in the morning, and I see this ridiculously happy person eating Cheerios, and I think to myself, they're having a better Monday than I am, and they're eating Cheerios. Maybe I'll eat Cheerios. Like, you, you don't do that cognitively, otherwise the, the sales pitch wouldn't work. But this is the message that's, that's, that's being taught to you and preached to you every single day for the past 20-some years or however old you are of your life. And please don't tell me that you don't think that at some point, if it's being taught to you that many times, it can't sink in a little. I'm not satisfied, and I need something to help me become satisfied. I'm going to put up that next slide for me too. Just, this is how ridiculous it is. There's a website called IWantOneOfThose.com, and this is a testimonial. It says, I love your site. I can't resist buying objects that I didn't know I needed. <laughs> think about that. I can't resist. I had no idea I needed this. <gasps> you know? And they go, I mean, it's ridiculous. They sell, it's, it's like the Sky Mall magazine and airplanes. It's what it is or something. I don't know. Um, but like this is, this is where we are as a society. We covet so much. We need to be convinced by all these businesses and brands that, I, I, that we're not satisfied and that I want this thing to make me satisfied. And the way to do that is by looking at some other man or woman or something that has things that I think can make me satisfied. And I want those things for myself. Coveting all the time is being preached to you. It's so funny, buddy, isn't it? It's my little man. He thinks I'm great. Um, it's a great perk of being a dad. Until he knows what's going on, he'll think I'm great. Um, okay, practically for us, I want to talk for just a minute about like, this room right here. And I think this probably is indicative of most people in America, but I, want to be, I just want to be honest and real specific about y- y'all, like college students and stuff. Um, there's a certain, certain number of things that y'all covet a lot. Stuff is one of them. Just stuff. Crewnecks versus V-necks, iPods versus droids. I don't care what it is. Music, CDs, uh, cars. I don't, I don't know what it is. This is. Cell phones are a big one. Good night, you covet cell phones. I can tell how much you covet cell phones by how much cell phone companies have to twist your arm to get you to sign a two-year contract. Because you, they know that you're not going to be satisfied with your cell phone for more than six months. And getting you to sign a two-year contract is like, oh, that's like forever. I love this phone. It's the best thing ever, but I'm going to hate it in six months because something new is going to come out, and I'm not going to be satisfied until I get that thing that I saw somebody else have. Do you see what I mean? I know how much we covet stuff that the, because the average college student in America, 18 million people, the average college, not the average college student, the average college senior in America is carrying over $4,000 in credit card debt. $4,000, over $4,000. There's some of you that don't have any credit card debt, which means there's some of you that have eight. And I'm, I'm, this isn't like a guilt trip on you. I'm just saying, in this room, if there's 50 seniors, what is that, $200,000 in credit card debt in this room? $200,000 of things, of stuff that you don't actually have money for, but is somehow spread out amongst your cars and your pockets and your dorm rooms and your fraternities and your sororities, $200,000 worth of stuff just from the seniors that we covet, that we want, that we probably bought because we saw somebody else have and we thought, well, I, I need that to make me feel better. I don't know if we go through that, if we say those words, but that's kind of the pro- what the process looks like. The average college graduate gra- in America graduates with over $20,000 in debt. 
and it's getting worse, right? In 2009, the freshman carried a credit card balance of over two grand. So if you do the math, maybe three years from now, seniors are going to have an average in America of $8,000 in credit card debt. It's significant how much this generation covets stuff. We covet jobs. We covet careers. I think this might have to do a lot with identity and stuff. We'll, we'll get to that. But like jobs and careers, I mean, you guys are in school, obviously, thinking about career paths and things like these. And I think it's really easy to kind of look at somebody out there who has this job that we think, man, that is the dream job. The guy who reviews movies for a living or the guy who, I don't know, whatever the thing you want to do is, engineer, I don't know what the dream engineer job is. I don't know. I like being here. So I don't know. Uh, I don't know what those dream jobs are. For me, this is one. Um, but I, I was, you, you can look out at these careers and say to yourself, man, I'm trying to figure out who I am. I'm trying to establish myself. I'm trying to figure out who I am with my parents, where I am with my faith, where I am with my finances, blah, 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 blah. And in the midst of that, I want to have this particular career. Why? Not just because I'm gifted at it, although that would be a healthy way to look at it or, or, or something that you want to, to do well in this world to bless people. That'd be fine. But I think if we're honest, sometimes there's a little twist in it that's, I want this career because that will mean something about my worth. I see what somebody else have and has, and they, they look like they got it pretty good. And so if I could have that career someday, if people could see me in that light, if I could make that kind of money, if I could have those kind of credentials, maybe I'll be okay. Sometimes it's not a big career thing, though. I think when we talk about coveting our neighbors, what, uh, for me, here was a struggle. When I was in college, I, I, I didn't, uh, my parents weren't able to help me out very much, so I had all the, the money from, I mean, I definitely bumped up the average in credit card debt and, and school loans. Uh, I, I had to cover all school by myself, and I was working 35 hours a week, and I was still having you know, to take these loans out and everything like that, but, and, and, and I was making like $6 an hour my freshman year working 35 I mean, this is a while ago, but I was making $6 an hour working 35 hours a week, and my roommate, whose parents were covering all of his school, and he had everything paid for, went out one day to look for a job, came back seven hours later with a job making $14 an hour. And I went, Ugh. if I had that job, you don't even need that job. Your parents are covering everything. You could take a $6 an hour job. If I had your job, though, all of my problems would disappear. If you actually said would all of your problems disappear, I would have said no, but the way I felt was saying that, and I coveted that job. I wanted that job, and we do this. Maybe the most significant way we covet is, is relationships, though, I think. I mean, immediately, I think our minds gravitate towards romance. Um, and and y'all, if you don't experience this, you've probably seen it or know somebody who does, but, but um, there's an attitude, there's a belief out there that if I find the significant other, I'll be okay. And I see other people like my roommate or my, my brother, my sister, my friend, my whatever, this, the person that I see all the time that seems to have this great relationship, I wish I had what they had. I wish I had what they had. I wish I had somebody that, that, that liked me like they liked them. I wish whatever, you know, and, and I think we think that's gonna satisfy us and we'll covet what they have. Potentially more common, but I think we talk about it far less, is friendships though. I mean, goodness, I see the way in myself and I see in, in, in conversations with y'all that we covet other relationships a lot. The way these two guys interact, I wish I had a friendship like that. The fact that they just go to bat for each other and they would give their lives for each other. I wish I had that kind of thing for me. I, I wish I could tell stories like that guy. I wish I could be funny like that person. I wish I garnered the respect that this person seems to get when they walk into a room. And I, I, don't, I don't really care that they've got it. I just wish I had that thing that they have for me is coveting. And we do this all the time. I think that there's a common thread, though, that runs through everything that we covet, regardless of what it is. 
And listen, we're not content. We're not satisfied. It's the reason why the commercials work so well. It's speaking right to a fear that we have. I may not be worth much. I may not be as significant as I think I, as I want to be. Maybe I think I am. I may not be as valuable as I would like to be. And here comes a commercial saying, you, you aren't satisfied. You haven't been made satisfied. You need something else in order that you will get to that place. And it works because I think that there's this underlying discontent in our hearts where we don't feel worth much and we need something to make us feel worth much. I need to add something to my life to give me a sense of significance, a sense of worth, a sense of dignity, a sense of value. I'm gonna be using the word worth a lot, but take your pick. You see what I'm saying? Like, and this drives us to covet the job and to think that's gonna satisfy me. There's some status, some financial security, some whatever. The stuff, because of the, what, what that means in terms of my relevance, what that means in terms of people's respect for me, what that means in terms of my ability to keep up with what I think normal people keep up with, relationships for, for all sorts of reasons. I think the, the root of this is the fact that we don't have a good understanding of our sense of worth. I'm gonna come back to that. I wanna talk just two things really basically because um, I'm gonna move a lot into this conversation about worth. Um, two reasons why I think uh, coveting is a huge problem, just logically. Uh, one, it doesn't work. That's not too complicated. It just doesn't work. Uh, no matter what you covet, if you're looking at your neighbor, if I'm looking at you and I'm going, you've got something I really want, a relationship, a gift, a money, a, a family life, a future, potential, whatever. I, I don't know what it is. And I want that for myself. As soon as I get it, I'm dissatisfied. Always, 100% of the time. 100% of the time, it doesn't last. The most poignant example of this in my life, and for whatever, I will never forget this moment. It was super profound for me. 1997, 96, 1996, <laughs> so never forget it. I don't know what year. Uh, doesn't matter. 1996, I was sitting on a toilet in a supermarket. Um, yeah, at this point, the story could go anywhere. Um, it's not that. Well, anyway, I was, uh, I was sitting on, I was working at the grocery store and I was taking a break. Uh, you know, for guys in my core group, you know that, like, I, I actually don't, I mean, it doesn't take me very long to go to the bathroom, and so I'm just sitting there taking a break, to be honest. Uh, and the, the radio's playing in the, in the bathroom. It's 1996. Radio's playing in the bathroom, and there's a, um, uh, there's a, it's like a news station or a sports station or something, because there's an interview between this lady and Shaquille O'Neal. The Lakers, the Los Angeles Lakers, had just won the first of three national championships or three NBA championships, Okay. This is 24, less than 24 hours after they won the NBA championship. This lady says, Shaq, how do you feel about the fact that you won the NBA championship with Los Angeles Lakers? And this is what he says. He says, I feel great. But you know what? We got to go out there and get another one next year. And I, I'm, I'm like 16 years old. And I'm going, what? Like there isn't a bigger goal in basketball. Literally, I mean, the NBA championship is bigger than the Olympic gold in basketball. It's harder to get, especially at that time. They had just started letting pros in the Olympics. But at that time, especially, it was such a big deal. If you grow up playing basketball, you, the, the one thing that you want that means you've done something in basketball is win an NBA championship. And the best he could do 24 hours after the fact is say, I got to earn another one. <laughs> I mean, I was sitting there... A 16 year old working in a grocery store in the bathroom, and I went, Get out. Like, I mean, I was, anyway, I went back to work after that, whatever. Uh, and now I get to talk about it. It's great. Um, but I, the reason I'm bringing that up is like, uh, I don't know what these things that you covet are in your life from other people, but I mean, if a guy who plays basketball can't find satisfaction in winning an NBA championship, 
Why do you think you're gonna find satisfaction getting the thing you think you're gonna get? Let me use relationships as an example before I move on to the other problem of coveting. Uh, if you think that you're gonna find security and satisfaction by finding somebody of the opposite sex in a romantic relationship, and that's what you're desiring and coveting is the security and this identity and this worth, it's gonna wreck you. Because a, let's hypothetically say you last a year in that relationship. A year. Promise you're more afraid then than you were when it started because now if the person leaves, they've left you after being with you for a year. And every year it's gonna get harder and harder and more scary and more scary if what you're trying to find is satisfaction in somebody else choosing you like that. Coveting something that somebody else has, coveting something like that that isn't something God is giving us is gonna wreck us. It just doesn't work. That's a, I mean, that's a, I don't, if that's not convincing, I don't know what it is. It just doesn't work. The second problem with coveting, if the first one isn't enough, is that it uh, absolutely wrecks our communities. It absolutely wrecks our relationships. I mean, like I said, coveting is really wrapped up in this bigger idea that God wants us to love each other, that God wants us to love our neighbors, right? I'm supposed to use, I'm supposed to use my money, my body. I'm supposed to use my sexuality, my home, my job, my gifts to bless you, to love you, to make much of you, like to, to tell you about your worth in God. That's what I'm supposed to do. That's what God is asking me to do. What do I do instead when I covet? I take money and I use that to establish my worth rather than give you any. I spend it like crazy because for some reason the fact that I can buy everything and have all these things makes me feel important or I save it and stock it up like crazy and I don't help anybody. I just save it and don't do it because it makes me feel like I have security in the fact that I've saved it and I gotta keep saving to keep increasing the, the buffer of my security and the dangers of this world. Or maybe it's food. We, can we could use food to bless people but often what we do is we use food to establish our own sense of worth in one way or the other. Eating too much, eating too little, something. To, we manipulate this thing to make it. We do this with our jobs. Instead of me thinking about what kind of job can I do to, and, and not every single one of these is all of you guys, right? I'm just, in this room, all of these things exist. But with the job, there's, there's, there's some people, and this is tempting for me and to go, I want a job that's gonna make me feel worth much. God is going, I've called you to bless people with your job. I've called you not to look out at what somebody else has and want that for yourself and want that job for yourself, thinking that you're gonna be satisfied. No, 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 I've, I've called you to use your job to bless people instead, on and on and on throughout it. Do you see how this, like the idea of not coveting can be wrapped up in, uh, in loving your neighbor? Let's say relationships is, or, 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 again, let me go back to that as a big example. If I am in a place where I don't, um, I don't know, like I, I'm striking out. Nobody's dating me. I don't have any interest on the horizon, whatever, okay? I, I, I really do though. My wife is awesome. Um, but hypothetically, okay, let's say I'm in this place where I'm going, man, I just feel so lonely. I wish somebody would be with me. I wish somebody would date me. I wish I could have the adventure of romance or something, something, something. I'd even like to be turned down right now, but I'm getting nothing, you know, Okay. Like, and, and in that place, because this always happens to, to you when you're in this kind of place, there's a friend of yours somewhere in your social circle that always seems to be getting something just a little bit better than you. And that person comes up and they're like, oh my gosh, I met the greatest person in the world. We went on the greatest date. I think this is gonna be awesome. Coveting, what that does is it tears apart your community. Because let's say that person does share that with me. My temptation as I covet what they have right now is not to ever say, I'm so happy for you, even if I say that. It's not what I'm thinking or feeling. What I'm feeling is, screw you. 
I want that. You shouldn't have that. I want that. That's what I'm thinking. And if I don't say that, and instead, I, let's say I don't, they don't know that I'm coveting that and they share stuff with me or, 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 or um, they start saying, hey, I, you know, I, I started dating this great person. It's been awesome. It's been great. And they start noticing after a little bit that, that I might be struggling with a coveting issue there and I might be angry or jealous or something about the situation that they have. What it's going to do to them is going to stop them from having the freedom to share anything they're excited about and that with me as a friend. And now this issue of my coveting has made it so I can't be excited for my friends and they can't share things that they're excited about with me. And we've now torn apart community. Not only does coveting not work at all, at all, it never works, but it also just rips apart our, our communities. It rips apart our friendships, rips apart our families. You have money and I don't. And so I don't want to hear about anything you buy. I don't want to hear about how, how, what the coolest new thing you have is because I'm struggling financially. And now you've got this really cool thing, but you can't even tell your friends about it because you're worried that they're all going to think you're a jerk for getting something. It doesn't make any sense, but this is what happens and it tears apart our community. God is wanting us not to covet each other's things, but to love each other. But this is so difficult. It is so difficult for me to go at you and say, you are worth much. You are loved much. I, I'm so happy for you. I, I want to rejoice with you. I want to be sorrowful with you. I want to come at you and love you. That's hard for me. Why? Because I have a, a, a lack of an understanding of my own sense of worth. And when I don't feel worth very much, it just seems kind of silly for me to give you worth. If I don't feel terribly significant, it feels a little silly for me to come give you significance. If I don't feel valuable, it seems silly and seems kind of weird for me to come and try to give you value. And I think this is why for us, in the face of coveting, loving our, our neighbors can be so, so difficult. When we're not content, when we're not satisfied in God, when we have a lack of understanding of our worth, it is so, so hard for us to live this out. But is there, is there a place, because I, I don't, Obviously, tonight, I'm not, I'm not just saying that and going, well, good luck with that. But I, I think that there is a place that, that we can actually hear of contentment and worth. Max, will you put up Philippians for me? Philippians 4, 11 through 13. Paul says to the people in Philippi, I have learned in whatever situation I am in to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound in any in every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. You can keep that up, buddy, for most of the rest of the time. Whatever situation he's in to be content, and this is not hyperbole. If you know the life of Paul, you know that this is not poetic, okay? Paul is a guy that uh, was at the top of the food chain. He had everything you could possibly want in society for status, Paul also had, probably went through more than any of us in this room have gone through. He was beaten multiple times. He was whipped something like almost 150 times. He was shipwrecked. Uh, he was left hungry. His friends betrayed him. Paul was actually stoned, uh, what people thought to death at one point, different kind of stoned, uh, to death at one point, but he lived. I don't know if that's a good thing. Literally, get on your knees in front of 20 people and let them throw rocks at you until they think you're dead. That's what that means. And they thought they killed him and he didn't die. Lucky Paul, you know? I mean, this is a guy that has been through so, so much. And he's able to say like in, in, in Philippians chapter three, right before this, in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, he makes these comments like, all of these things that I've been through, I count as garbage compared to the surpassing joy of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. So when Paul says, I know in whatever situation I am in to be content, 
He's not just saying like, well, you know, I mean, there's been times I was like a little low in cash. You know, and there, I guess there were some times I, I guess I had a pretty good play on the football team and stuff like that. He's talking about he's been really high in society and really low, but neither one of those dictated his contentedness. And this is significant for me. Most of the things I think that we covet, maybe nine out of 10, maybe closer to 10 out of 10 times, nine out of 10 times, the things that we covet tend to be situational, tend to be circumstantial. That position, that job, that gift, that relationship, that, 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 uh, that ability maybe even, and, and these things change over the course of time. Nothing like that seems to last for a, a terribly long time. And we, we, we think that these situational things are gonna satisfy and secure us. And Paul is saying, no, 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 no. I'm not content because I figured out a way every single day to have an amazing day. I figured out a way to be content because I figured out how to always have food. I figured out a way to be content by always staying on top and never, ever, ever suffering. That's not how he says he's content. Whatever situation he's in, when I'm totally starving, when I'm full and I've gorged myself, when I have no lack of need of anything, and when I don't even know how I'm gonna get any, anything next, in either of those situations, Paul is saying for him there's a way to be content. And for him, it's the last line. It's I can do all things through him who strengthens me. For Paul, it's Christ. For Paul, Christ gives him a strength. It's this relationship with God that gives him a strength in the highs and the lows, in between all of it. And he's, I think for us, I guess one so I can move off it really quickly. If you find yourself desiring something that is a circumstance and you think that's gonna satisfy you, it won't. It's not meant to. But what Paul is saying here is that Christ can actually find a way to make you content regardless of your situation just coming alive for the first time in your life, thinking you might die, having everything at your fingertips, thinking the world is, is available and open to you to get whatever job you want after college. Uh, somebody is totally in love with you and wants to date you or the complete opposite of all of those things. In either way, in either place, Paul has found a way to be content in Christ. I know in the Bible Belt that sounds like, okay, dude, seriously, we're gonna get there. I want you to think with me just for a second though. I want you to think, what is it, like, I mean, if you guys can, if you're willing to be so cheesy, I'd encourage you to close your eyes and think, um, just to really, I'm gonna give you a couple seconds. What is it that you covet? I'm not gonna ask out loud. This isn't, don't judge yourself here. God already knows what you're thinking, so don't worry about it. What is it that you covet? Why do you covet that thing? Obviously, I've been arguing that there is a lack of worth somewhere in us that we want to be satisfied, but what is it that this thing is promising that's gonna fulfill that? Is it peace? Is it like the anxiety of something is gonna be gone? Is it that you don't wanna be condemned anymore? You don't wanna be judged, and so you think if you had this thing, people wouldn't judge you anymore? Is it that you feel broken and hurt and you wanna be fixed and healed? Is it that you want love and respect and you want to be seen like a freaking emperor in this world? Do you want worth in life? Like whatever it is, like what is it? What is it that is the promise for you in that place? Okay, check this out, okay? I, I don't know if you want peace. Maybe for a lot of, I think for me a lot of times that's what it is. Like I don't like anxiety, right? And I want peace. Jesus says to his disciples in John chapter 17, peace I give you, my peace I leave with you. He wants to give his people peace. Paul talks about a peace that surpasses understanding. Jesus is promising to give you peace. Jesus says, I didn't come to the world to condemn the world, but to bring life and life abundantly to you. If you're worried about condemnation, that's not what Jesus is talking about. That's not what he's bringing to you. He's bringing you life. 
If you're, if, if you're coveting stuff because you don't want to be condemned and judged, Jesus is saying, well, come to me. Come to me. If you want peace, just come to me. You don't need to covet anything else. If you're broken and hurt, if you feel lost and alone, you all probably know if you've grown up around here. Jesus says, I've come to seek and to save the lost. I've come to bind up the injustices in this world and the bro- I've come to heal and bring life to the brokenhearted. This next one to me is absolutely crazy, uh, and, and the cynics in this room might think this is a little silly, um, but I think that there's a part of us that desires to be loved and respected and have fame and have lasting significance and a name that is, is significant in our lives. Get this, right? Christ, in, in praying for his disciples in John chapter 17, makes this comment that God is making known to the world that as his people come together in unity, right? God is making known to the world that he loves you and me like he loves Jesus. I don't know how many times you've read over that verse, but think about how ludicrous that statement is. Jesus is acknowledging that God loves you like God loves Jesus. I think Paul furthers some of my thought process in this in Romans chapter eight when he says that we have been adopted by God to become children of God as the spirit of God is in us. We are adopted to such a degree that we get to call God daddy. And we get to share in an inheritance that God offers to Jesus. I actually, along with you, if you follow Christ, get to have an inheritance that we get to share in with Jesus. We get dad's job. We get dad's work. We get dad's blessings. We get his money. We get his power, his provisions, his relationships, all of these things as we inherit these things from him. To such a degree that, quite frankly, what the Bible argues is that in Christ you are, and this is where the cynical part comes in maybe for some of you, you are, quite frankly, a prince or a princess in all of God's creation having dominion over all of creation in Christ. If you're longing for for love, Jesus is saying, God loves you like he loves me. There's no greater love than this, I promise. If you're longing for fame, he's going, I'll make you royalty in all of creation. Men and women, Paul argues that we get to judge angels one day. That's nuts. That's nuts. If you're longing for that kind of thing, this is what Jesus is offering. If you want worth in life, Jesus is saying, come to me because I am the way to the Father and the Father is the source of all worth and all life. Okay, what I'm getting at here is any single motive that you might have at a deep level for coveting something. Anytime you might have a motive that, that you think, if I get this, I'll feel secure. If I get this, I'll feel peace, at peace. If I get this, I'll finally feel loved or significant or worth much or feel healed. Christ is saying hello, like, hey, all of those things right here. But it's so crazy because Jesus says that to us, and y'all know Jesus says that if you've grown up around here, probably most of you. You know he says that, but every time he says something like that, we kind of, like he could say, God loves you like he loves me. And we go, yeah, I mean, yeah, but I don't know. It's like, what? How could we do that? Let me give you an analogy, I think, to explain how we can do that. So I finished preaching the sermon tonight, and I think to myself as I'm walking off the stage, man, that sucked. I dropped a fat goose egg on this stage tonight. That sermon was horrible, okay? And I'm feeling like, man, I tried my hardest. It just absolutely was horrible, and I really believe that, okay? And I'm walking off the stage, and on the way back, somebody over here that I don't know says to me, hey, man, great sermon. Sorry, you just don't stand a chance. <laughs> like, I mean, 
you don't say that. I'm saying that to you. Like you telling me great sermon, if I don't really know you, you know what I mean? Like if I don't, if I don't know who you are and I think really this sucked and you say good job, I mean, I'll take the compliment. Don't get me wrong. I'm that vain. But, but like, it, but you say that to me and I'm still laying my head down on my pillow at night going sucked. Your comment that that was a great sermon when I didn't know you doesn't dent this wall of belief that I have that it sucked. But on the way back, if I keep going and David Burke's over there and he says, Jason, great sermon. Because of the amount of respect that I have for David, because he's like a hero to me, because I know he loves Jesus, because I know that he loves me, because I have this relationship with him, he could say the exact same thing that somebody over here that I don't know says. Sorry, people over there. Somebody over here too, anybody really. Okay, like, I just, I'm picking on y'all. I don't, can't even see anything. Anyway, David says that to me. He can say the exact same thing somebody I don't know says, but I actually can hear it and I can believe it. Are you with me on that? Do you, I mean, do you understand what I'm saying? I, the, the, both people could be speaking truth, the exact same truth, but because I know David, I can actually hear that truth better and it has a chance of busting through some of these lies. I think this is what happens with us and Jesus, that we listen to God as if we didn't know him, that God can say, you are worth much to me over and over and over again in the scriptures, but one person could post on your Facebook wall, I hate you, and that means more than anything God has ever said. Because I trust Facebook more than I trust God. And please be careful, I'm not, I don't want you to go, no, I don't, because you feel judged. I'm just saying, if we knew God and trusted him, did you hear the things that he is saying to us? to answer every single reason why we might covet? Every single one. But we don't hear it, it just bounces off us. He says, I love you. I didn't come to condemn the world. How many of you feel like God is judging you? And yet Jesus said, I didn't come to to condemn the world. Jesus was given all of the responsibility to judge and he took it upon himself on the cross. What are you listening to? It's not Jesus. If you're so terrified of being condemned, But we hear him, and I think like the difference between me listening to David and somebody I don't know, I think we hear him like it's somebody I don't know. Okay, the last half of the Ten Commandments, okay, they're about loving people. Honor your father and mother, don't commit adultery, don't murder, don't steal, don't lie, don't covet. These are all things that we do to somebody else, right? Love your neighbor as yourself. That's what these are about. What I wanna argue tonight, when the challenge I have for you guys tonight is I think that God, as he's saying don't covet, I think as he's saying love your neighbor as yourself, I think he's offering us a crazy invitation. Let me explain. Uh, a year and a half ago, I got golf lessons from a, um, a golf pro down at the Chattanooga Golf and Country Club. Uh, and I suck at golf. Um, and I walk up there, and, and it's relevant. Um, I walk up there and I get in this like tent thing and, and I have this golf club and maybe some of you do this a lot, but I was terrified because I suck at golf. And there's this guy that I saw a scorecard in his office that said 60 and it was signed and I was like, uh, and so I'm sitting here golfing and there's a camera on me and he's got a clipboard and he goes, just, just like hit like 20 golf balls. I was like, all right. And so I'm hitting 20 golf balls. And I'd like to say that like, I I, I wish I could have told him that this is worse than I normally do, but it was pretty accurate. Like, you know, I'm hitting golf ball after golf ball. Some are going right, some are going left, some are going right, left, whatever. After I hit 20, he says to me, all right, Jason, so I, th- I think I kind of figure out some stuff about the way you swing and your natural swing. Here, grab this club instead. He gives me a different club. He feels like a little better for me. And he says, we're gonna talk about different things, but first, I just want you to try one thing. I want you to loosen your grip. Just loosen your grip. 
And I start thinking, dude, seriously, come on. Like, you're an idiot. Like, did you see what my, the golf balls were doing? Like, they were going left and they were going right. Loosening my grip is going to make me have less control, not more control. Like, you have no idea. I'm thinking all of this. What I say is, really? And I'm hoping that's communicated. And he goes, yes, really. And so I, okay. And I loosen my grip on this golf club and I swing. And the next five shots are way straighter than any of the previous 20. He said, loosen your grip. Now, I got to be honest with you guys. I didn't buy it. When he said that, I didn't buy it. Like, I didn't, I mean, I told you, I had all this doubt in my head. Like, there's no way this is going to work. It doesn't make any sense to me. I, I'm sure it does make sense. Some of you out there are going, well, it totally makes sense. I, I didn't to me, okay? I was sitting there going, loosen my grip, less control. I don't know why, but that's what I was thinking. But I, I thought, okay, nothing I've ever done with golf has gotten me better than where I am today. So I'm going to give you a shot. You say loosen your grip. I saw a 60 on the scorecard. You work at the Chattanooga Golf and Country Club. You have a lot more money than I do, and you look like a nicer guy than I am, so I'll trust you, you know? And so I grab this golf club, and some of those are relevant, some of those are not. Um, so I grab this golf club, and I, I loosen my grip, and I hit it, and I was shocked. I mean, really, the ball went straight, and I was like, cool. I did it again, cool. Like, you know, and then I tighten it up, and it, you know, I was like, he's like, tighten it? I was like, yeah, tighten it, you know. Did the whole thing. Anyway, the whole process happened, but check this out. When he said loosen your grip, it was an invitation. What I could do when he said that is I could drop the golf club and I'm like, dude, tell me something relevant. I, I struggle with control. I don't believe what you're saying. You tell me to loosen my grip. I don't believe, I know that's, that, that would be really weird at a golf range if I actually did that like that, right? Like, dude, you know? Um, but this is what we do with God. So God says, don't covet. Love your neighbor as yourself. Don't lie. And there's a part of us, because of the lack of worth that lives inside of us, I think, that rages against some of that. And we're like, it can't be true. I don't feel a sense of worth, God. How can I give worth to somebody else that doesn't make sense? And I think he's just saying, like, loosen, just loosen your grip and swing. Like, love, love your neighbor as yourself. I think, honestly, it's an invitation. This may sound crazy to you guys. I don't know. It may sound like a crazy idea, but 1 John chapter 4, verse 7, John makes this comment, I think, that's, um, that's pretty remarkable. And he says, anyone who loves knows God. Okay, I've been arguing with you guys to some extent that one of the reasons that I think that we really struggle to trust Jesus, and this Jesus is the answer for contentment. He's the answer for satisfaction. He's the answer for worth. One of the reasons we struggle so much with this is because we don't know him. We know tons of things about him. But to the degree that we covet, we aren't trusting him. And I don't think it's because he's not saying the right thing. I don't think it's because our sin or our lack of worth scares him. Because he really seems to address just about all of these core places in our lives with the things that he said. I think one of the reasons it doesn't affect us is because we just hear it like we hear somebody we don't trust. And we're like, okay, okay, Jesus, I know that you said that I can love people through the power of your spirit, but what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna go over here and I'm gonna try my hand at all these things. And when I come to the conclusion that I can love people by the power of your spirit, I'll be back. I think that's what we often do. Like, I, like me doing that with the golf club guys, he's going, loosen your grip. And I'm like, ah, I don't trust you. Let me go think about that for a while. I'll be back later. And we go off. I think Jesus is standing there going, you don't know me and I'm trying to give you an invitation. Do this and watch. I swung that club and I went, dude, I totally trust you. I mean, it was magic. I just did what he asked and I was like, cool. I, I now believe that what you said was good for me and it worked. And so I'm willing to take some more advice. And I think this is what God is doing. 
Loosen your grip was an invitation to trust. Love your neighbor is an invitation to trust. Love your neighbor, I think, is an invitation to know God. And we have heard commandments so much in our lives as something that is a duty for us. And I think it might be as followers of God, for sure. But I think there's 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 this way of thinking about commandments that we hardly ever address. I think it's an opportunity for us to step into and say, God, are you for real? Because I think that what I've just done sucks. And you keep telling me that you love me anyway and that you are gonna help me do better things and you're going to make me into this man that is remarkable for this world and I just don't buy it, God. I don't see it. And it just bounces off this wall of disbelief that I have. And I go, I'd rather just get a job because I've seen people that look happy with a job. And God's going, that's not where you're gonna find contentment because the longer you have that job, the more you're gonna need that job. And if you lose that job, you're not gonna have any contentment at all. He's going, will you just find your contentment in me? There will come a day when I will make all things new and situations and circumstances are gonna be awesome. But right now, even if you somehow miraculously won't, but let's hypothetically say you get every single thing that you possibly want in life, the fact that there's somebody else out there being sold into the sex trade, sex trade, a kid who's being given a gun and told to fight a war, somebody who doesn't have food, that's gonna wreck your perfect little world. The situation and circumstance that we're in in a fallen world is that it's always messy. We need to find contentment in the midst of it. And I think God is standing before us going, these 10 commandments have very little to do with, with a circumstantial thing. It has to do with the way that you orient yourself toward God and toward people. Will you love people? And we go, God, I don't know if I can. It's so difficult. I don't feel worth. And I think, I really think you guys, this is, I think it's so difficult because for 3,000 times a day, for 20 years, you have heard that you're not good enough that you need something else to satisfy you. And I don't know how I think in 35 or 40 minutes or whatever that that I'm gonna put a dent in that. And so my challenge for you guys is, could you love people this week? Could you love your roommates? Could you love your parents? Could you love your annoying friends? Could you love the friend that always gets something better than you all the time? Maybe stay away from exes, but other than that, I mean, don't be mean to them, but you know. But like love people this week but I'm gonna ask you to love with a certain mindset. Will you love people in a way that just seems weird? Like, how could I give this person worth when I don't understand my own? Will you do it and ask this question? God, are you for real? Like, is what you're saying that that in the first commandment, can I have no other gods but you? Can I put you first and that be enough for me? Because I promise, as you guys stand far away from those things, from loving people, from living out the commandments of God, if we stand far away from those things and we, when we ask God, God, I, I need you to prove all this stuff before I step into that, I, I think it's very similar to, to, to me kind of having that conversation with the golf guy. And I'm going, dude, prove it to me before I swing. And he's going, see, just swing. Just swing the sneaking club and you'll see what I'm talking about. And I think in my life, you guys, it's a, just a testimonial piece as I have tried to love people in my life in places I didn't even know were possible I find, and and Paul argued this when he talked about uh, all these beatings that he went through and things like this. I find that when I come to places, I'm like, God, I don't know how to do it, but I'm gonna try to love these people because you said that, and I'm gonna see this as an opportunity to get to know you and see what you're doing in this world and in my life and in this person's life. His strength is made perfect in my weakness. Here's a challenge, guys. Love people. Love your neighbor as yourself. Don't covet don't covet their stuff. Love them this, just this week, please. I mean, for the rest of your lives, but this week, please, 
don't covet, love your neighbors, and see that as an invitation from God to know more about who he is so that when he speaks to you about your worth, you believe it. All right, pray with me. Father, I know, um, like I said, that uh, 3,000 times a day for 20 years or whatever is a lot um, to speak against and to hope to change and transform. So, um, Lord, I would ask that your spirit would speak powerfully to people and start right now even um, encouraging them to dare to think about people that they can love. And God, as they do, as they seek to love people around them instead of covet things that everybody has, um, I pray that you'd make yourself known in, in, uh, in powerful ways um, and that your strength would be made perfect in places where they need your help. Um, thank you, God, for how much you proclaim their worth and mine, um, that you love us uh, like you love your son. And so in his name I pray, amen.